Welcome to the Filament Games Podcast, a show dedicated to game-based learning. Here are your hosts, Brandon Pitzer and Dan Norton. All right, so welcome, as Abby just said, mm-hmm. to the podcast. Today we're talking about two things, two main things. One is games that make you dumber. Yeah. Dumber. <laughs> and the other is 21st century skills. What are they? Why do we care? Right. What and happened to the 20th century skills? What <laughs> yes. happened to 19th century skills? I was just getting used to the industrial revolution, <laughs> personally. <laughs> Games that make you dumber. Yeah. Okay. Oh, we're going to start with that one. That's I, good. Yeah, it's it's first in line. I mean, we could... Yeah, let's just start with that let's one. Let's do that. Let's okay, go with great. It. What do you got? Obviously, a big focus of Filament is games for learning. Um, yeah. And over the years, we've developed lots of different strategies of how to integrate learning into games uh, to make games be about getting better at a certain thing. But, you know, along the way, I think, we, you know, it's it's interesting to think about games can impart sort of information, but that information isn't necessarily always going to be true or good. So I thought I'd sort of talk about some of the ways that the tools that make games such an effective tool for learning can sometimes go awry it's true right and and sort of landmines you can avoid when developing a learning game so you don't accidentally make your users dumber i have a relevant thing to say about that all right because i just we're just putting out a blog post today Mm -hmm. about learning by accident which was one that i wrote Mm -hmm. well basically the concept is this i played a lot of everquest as Mm -hmm. a as a youth yeah and this was in like 1999, yeah. before things like TeamSpeak and Skype existed. Right. In fact, there was just a landline phone for me to like talk to other people with. Did and you like set up like a like uh, conference calls with your raiders, fellow raiders? Is that? How I mean, it when I when I could, but the problem is, is that you know the phone, the, like the modem, was also using the phone line. Oh right, yeah. <laughs> when I was so logging, you gotta in. be like a super millionaire and have two lines for that kind exactly. of thing. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, and I, I come from. From a modest background, um, <laughs> but but uh, the the thing was is that you know because of that I was entirely dependent on typing to mm-hmm. re- to relay information and more importantly to ask for help mm-hmm. when I was in trouble and so I got really fast at typing because mm-hmm. of EverQuest but I type so badly like I'm so it's it's so wrong like I just use the thumb and index finger on my right hand that's it I can still hit eighty to ninety words per minute. With that completely wrong way yeah, of doing terrible. it. Yeah, that's terrible. That's <laughs> terrible. But now I'm like I'm broken forever. I can't ever <laughs> like, reform myself from that. Mm-hmm. And so I was thinking like, well, obviously EverQuest would be really lame if you added in like a home row tutorial, <laughs> like right? as part of the experience. Right. So it gave me speed, but it also gave me like really terrible form. I think that's a great example. In yeah. fact, you could even go and say that often when I'm talking to game enthusiasts about learning games. A game that's often brought up uh, fondly by them and myself is Typing of the Dead. Mm, mm-hmm. Are you familiar with this? Yes. Uh, for listeners not familiar with it, it was a uh, reworking of a zombie survival shooting game that was one of those you know classic on rails like time crisisy type shooting game where usually you, a light gun. Yeah, you'd yeah. move from area to area and use a light gun to shoot things. But uh, they they took House of the Dead and they reworked it so that all the zombies around, uh, hanging around their neck were placards with. Various words 
They're usually very esoteric, gibberishy, close to gibberish words. Mm-hmm. And to eliminate those zombies, you must type that word. Mm-hmm. And then they their head explodes and they tip over. And maybe the best thing about it to me was, you know, some of the game art that surrounded the game. You could see pictures of the heroes and they had this like ridiculous front mounted <laughs> keyboard death to, you know, like, like in a harness of some like, kind yeah they worked yeah. it into the lore of the game that this was somehow the way that you got rid of zombies mm-hmm. and then they kind of like I think they just stopped there they're like that's how it works <laughs> of course you use this keyboard that's mounted in front of you to shoot zombies the willful it's, suspension of disbelief is on you yeah audi- it's, audience. Yes, it's such a it's like they explained it a little more to make it worse which I'm fond of that's like a that's a that's a pastime of my of, of my own so so that game's often brought up. It's like, oh, that's well, a great game. You learn how to type. Mm-hmm. But just like you said, not really. Yeah, right. You type a lot. You type with urgency. You can type with urgency. <laughs> You'll know more about where the letters are. Mm-hmm. But actually learning proper typing form, which actually is required to like break into the the upper levels of mastery typing. That the tri- doesn't teach you the triple digits, basically. Right, yeah. yeah. If like, you really want to be good at typing, mm-hmm. the game actually spends a lot of time drilling really bad habits into you mm-hmm. and you can't escape it. <laughs> so that's, that's great, Brandon. That's a, that's a, that's a perfect example of yeah. a game that makes you dumber. One of the ones I wanted to talk about in particular was one of the, like the dark side of one of the core strategies that Filament uses is that one of the ways we love to make learning games teach is that we like to integrate our learning objectives into the system itself of the game, make the rules be actually mirror the objective. So I think I've talked a little bit about that in the past on on here already. I think one of the things that's really tricky, though, is that when you embed learning objectives into the simulation, like when you make the rules be the way they are, that's usually not challenged by the player. Like mm. they just do mm-hmm. that thing. Mm-hmm. Um, an interesting way that you can get go awry with developing a learning game is with identity. Mm. So games are great at asking you to become a hero yeah. of some sort. Um, so often when we're looking at our learning objectives in a game, we're looking at a way that we can tell the player that there's some kind of empowered persona that is good at these objectives. And then sometimes that's tied to like a professional practice, mm-hmm. which we'll probably talk about a little bit later when we get into 21st century skills. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes it's like an empowered role that just happens to involve that. And I think that can go awry in like two ways. I think the first is if your learners already are coming in with some type of identity where they're ready to know these things. And then we spend a bunch of time trying to create a duplicate identity for them. So imagine we're making like a professional practice game for someone who wants to learn something about, let's say like circuit design, like developing hardware. And we're going to make a puzzle game about that. Mm -hmm. And it's going to be rolled out in a professional company, like of people who already are working with hardware but just need to learn more about like the specific nomenclature of these diagrams okay i think you know if we try and be like hey you're a wizard (laughs) in a magical land where spells are cast via the creation of circuitry diagrams just on its own in isolation that's like a good idea to make an empowered role but we're creating cognitive dissonance with our actual targeted learners Mm. they already have an identity that's going to hit traction inside this game and by sort of puffing up some alternate identity inside the game we can actually undermine their own sense of worth in doing those things so they're like oh well if you need to lie to me about who i am <laughs> to make this worth doing maybe it's not worth doing 
right? So you want to make sure that your identities actually like line up with the player's actual intended agency. Yeah. Well, that's, I think that's valid. It's, I mean, it's, it's about designing for your audience in a lot of ways too. Mm-hmm. It's like what, what would work for students in a K-12 classroom would not necessarily work for, uh, yeah, like you're saying, an advanced professional who's already had some actual in the field experience with whatever it is that you're trying to, to instruct them about. I think the overlap with professional practice and identity has got another problem in which you decide that your game needs to get super literal mm. about about what a job is. Right. And I think it's reasonable. Obviously, you want to learn more about the profession and understand what it is. But doing things like, well, you know, in this job, you'll be answering emails. So we have to make sure that in the game you're doing emails. <laughs> and, oh, you know, almost everyone who's in this job drives to work. Oh, we'll need to have a driving to work simulation component. There's just like a, a line that needs to be drawn about like, no, what is the core expertise that makes this job unique? Right. And ideally that core expertise is also what makes the job interesting. I think SimCity is like right in the middle of the argument about like, does SimCity make you dumber? Mm. Because it's lying to you about what a city planner does. Like city planners don't hop into their helicopter <laughs> and then point at roads and have them materialize instantly. Like that doesn't happen. It'd be cool if it did. It would be cool. But does that mean that SimCity is doing a disservice? Uh, I would say no. I would say that SimCity has done a excellent job of capturing the real problem solving space of a lot of different aspects of civic planning. Right. Um, and that the components of professional practice that come after that are, are, can be introduced to some other tool. For me, something like SimCity as an example is like, I would not have even been exposed to the idea that the things around me, you know, when I encountered that game as a child, I shouldn't say, I should mm-hmm. caveat that. But when I encountered the game as a child, it never even occurred to me that someone was out there like figuring out where roads should go. You played it last week. All right, fine. <laughs> <laughs> this, this environment is constructed? <laughs> I thought, yeah, I thought buildings just grew out of the ground. Um, But yeah, so, you know, I think it's, there's something to be said, too, for the fact that, at least for me as a young player, it introduced me to the concept that this is even something that's planned. Mm -hmm. And it, it brought an awareness to me as well about how you handle kind of emergent situations in mm-hmm. a city because that to me of course was like the core of the game is like what happens after I inflict a tornado on this right. tiny metropolis right. uh, another and, thing that city planners don't often get to do exactly yeah. <laughs> yes they yeah. don't just get to conjure their own natural disasters I think there's there's maybe one other one other thing to get into about games that make you dumber and I think this one I think I may, maybe by accident I saved the best one for last. But oh, like, right. Sometimes games can expose a level of understanding about a system or action that advance your thinking, but then the assessment of that thing may appear like you've gone backwards in your thinking, when in fact you've just gotten more complex thinking about it. Mm-hmm. And I have two examples. Yeah. So the one is like a pure game-based example. Like if you've played any fighting games like Street Fighter 2 or... The Mortal Kombat's with the kids and <laughs> and, and the decapitations. Mm-hmm. There's usually a realm in which you know you can do fairly well by just sort of mashing the buttons as hard as you can, right? You can just be like, "Well, I'm just gonna throw punches with by hitting all these buttons and seeing what happens," and that actually can get you fairly far in the game. Right. But at a certain point, you start trying to assemble a strategy, and there's this curve 
where you're getting better at the game because you actually are forming strategies. And then when you're in that mode, the person who's mashing buttons is still actually crushing you. Mm. It's a very frustrating time. That's you're like, a good no, point. I, I'm losing to someone who's not actually thinking about being good. I've been that guy. Right? Mm-hmm. It's a tough time. I've been both those guys. <laughs> yeah, right? And it's... Uh, and so you are a better player. You yeah. have gotten better, but you are not good enough yet to actually overcome the first trough of mastery. The brute forcing. Yeah. And that's actually super common in especially things like language, mm-hmm. right? Where you may learn how to conjugate a verb, right? You're like, oh, I can, I can conjugate this verb. But guess what? It's one of like the three million verbs that have special rules mm-hmm. about how to use it. And so now you sound dumber, <laughs> right? Now you're, now you're uh, swumming or, yeah, you know. Right. You or, may have thought you wanted that gerund. Yeah, you eated. Yeah, you eat it a pair. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you have learned a rule that governs language and you've gotten better at language. But now applying it in specific instances actually makes you feel like you've gone backwards. And if you had a very non-sophisticated assessment, Mm -hmm. right, you'd be like, oh, this person doesn't know how to do past tense because they said eat it. Right. It's embarrassing. <laughs> uh, you know, so you and games can actually produce that type of problem, right? You can be like, hey, this information is complicated. You have to think about it with a lot of ins and outs. And it's a dynamic system that has to be considered. And then you can test someone on that. And if you test them on like the vocabulary, they've spent more, most of their time thinking about the system. They may have forgotten the words that were used along the way. Um, and they'll look like they didn't get anywhere. Or maybe they even went backwards when in fact they're complicated understanding of the thing may have improved. So one of the ways that games can make you dumber is that they actually make you smarter in a way that's harder to detect without getting realer about what's good assessment. Let's switch gears to 21st century skills. All right, 21st century skills. We should probably have like laser noises for 21st century skills. Yeah. You know, maybe a lightsaber. <laughs> Not lightsabers. We already hit the lightsaber too hard. That's true. We have. Well, yeah. We we've only been hammering light, on it. Light, the previous skit can have lightsaber. Well, you know what the hell? <laughs> the, ho- hopefully, this comes out sometime around the Star Wars movie being out so we can be topical. As far as I know, they're gonna, there's going to be a Star Wars movie every year until we die. So mm. we'll be fine. I, th- I think we're covered. Uh, 21st century skills are. Kind of a a new-ish concept in education. Granted, we are 15 years now into the century in question, so this has been a subject of discussion for longer than 15 years. But the idea is that it's focusing on the critical thinking, problem-solving, collaborative skills that enable you to succeed in today's more services-oriented world. The thought economy. Exactly. As opposed to being... Out an assembly line mm-hmm. in a factory, which mm-hmm. is kind of why I was mentioning the Industrial Revolution earlier, is because very much our education system was designed to support an industrial world, mm-hmm. and the industrial world has been, you know, in a slow state of fading for quite some time, at least as far as America is concerned. Mm-hmm. So there's a, a higher emphasis on these sort of more intangible skills that are applicable, I'll even use another buzzword, transferable to the adult world. So that's what they are. And now we need to think about what role do games have in developing them, which is an interesting topic. We have 
worked on a game for quite some time in a kind of a prototypical stage called Discussion Maker, mm -hmm. which is explicitly engineered to be kind of a platform for conversation, debate, and assessment of those things. And that's very oriented towards 21st century skills. Uh, but that's that's a, an example of a product that is in many ways explicitly oriented towards that. Mm -hmm. And I think that there are ways that games that aren't explicitly targeted at that skill set still develop those skills. Sure. Well, I mean, there's a couple of there's a couple of freebies in the bag, right? Mm -hmm. you know, like our, the games are built inside technology. They're they're delivered via different technological devices. Yeah. So the games, you know, automatically come with the idea of like, hey, you're going to get time to interact with devices, and 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 not just oh, I can. I can turn on the wiggles on this on this iPad, mm -hmm. right? Not just as a consumption device, right? But as a production device, right? That games actually have you do a thing, and interact with a digital interface, understand how it works, and get better at it. So you know, there's a just just by the nature of existing, you get uh, a first tier of of the 21st century skills of being an interface with new technologies, new digital tools parsing them and making them work. I mean, just about every game hits those notes. So learning games don't have an edge over other games in that front, but they, right. they hit that one for free. Yeah, and that's, I mean, that's explicitly baked into like things like Common Core, which while controversial is being implemented in many places in the country. And yeah, like click and drag skills right. for young learners are prescribed in those standards. Yep. And so, yeah, like that's that's an inherent strength of games. Right. It's not one to like crow about on the rooftops. No, it's not the main thing. It's not like, <laughs> look, look, they're technically using a device that's powered by electricity. Here we are. Uh, you know, it's it's good, but it's uh, it's not really a super exciting component of what games can do. It's just we get it and it's there. It's worth acknowledging. Mm -hmm. I think games get better at it when you really sort of talk about how games present problem solving spaces that involve thinking, communicating, experimenting, iterating, mm -hmm. failing all of those types of things, all the all, like being able to react to new information, parse it, reattempt, construct models, try again. Like all the things that are sort of core parts of the struggle of getting good out of a game are all key parts of how to actually be a thinking, effective human being in a in a in a world that's built around more and more of a premium of asking people to think. Mm -hmm. That's one of the things I really do think is cool about Discussion Maker, not to make it promotional, but one of the cool things about Discussion Maker is it's actually fairly content agnostic. Yeah. It's actually more about how do you approach information, assemble it, and discuss it in a format that involves evidence, considering other perspectives, and coming to consensus. Those are those are 21st century skills. Oh, yes. Right? And... Uh, and not only that, but, you know, they obviously have deep ties to, like, how to be a good citizen, how to be, and I would, I mean, is it crazy be like, how to be a good person? I don't know. It's, I think it's being able to think and it's how to be an evidence, effective person. How to be an effective person. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. So, you know, it, it's totally, you can totally make a game on purpose to tackle specific 21st century skills because a lot of 21st century skills kind of like orbit around this idea of, Things can be complicated. Yeah. <laughs> it's right. complicated. Right. We live in a complex world with complex problems and 
it's up to us uh, as people to parse those things and right. use use different levels of experimentation, skepticism, discussion, research. Those are all just tools you need to actually be a proactive, functioning, effective person in the 21st century. One thing I'd like to kind of hit on is the idea of collaboration, because mm-hmm. I think that's definitely core to the idea of 21st century skills. Mm-hmm. And I do think games have a particular strength there in terms of offering a space for collaboration around a shared objective. Mm-hmm. And so that's something that I'd, I'm just going to ask as, as if I were a layman, as if I were just wandering in off the streets, <laughs> saying to Dan Norton, Chief Creative Officer of Film and Games, why don't we have more multiplayer games? Well, layman, Brandon, it's a complicated <laughs> question. I question whether or not you're actually that simple of a person to, to ask that. Um <laughs> What's your real agenda? Uh, there's a, there's a, it's actually a multiple fronts on that. Like one of them, and maybe the, the most disappointing one is logistics. Mm. It's difficult to set up learning games with multiplayer expectations. Okay. So just a couple of quick examples. Let's say every game has to be, is set up to be a two player game. Mm-hmm. What if your class has an odd number of kids? Then there's one sad child. Right? Yes. <laughs> it's, it's dumb, but it's true. We could make like an expansion pack for the, the lonely sad child right. to talk to a robot or something. Yeah. So some of it's logistics. And then if there's like, if you start making games, they're like, well, it's threes. Mm-hmm. Uh, it needs to be fours. Right. Uh, if it, it requires four people and you have your group is like an after school group and there's only three of them in there, game's done. Okay. Right. So one of the, yeah. So probably the simplest, most disappointing one is it's a logistical challenge for a lot of learning environments to work with multiples. Sure. And that's something we've run into before is that there is no one size to a classroom. Yeah. And so it it becomes challenging to size the way that you do, uh, the way that you license a game, the way that you kind of build the game itself. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think the next one ties into some of the tools that we make to design games around identity and narrative. Mm hmm. So we've we talked quite a bit about how games can ask you to become somebody, and usually that role is some type of empowered hero, uh, right? That's mm-hmm. like we can we can really invest in that identity. Mm. If it's a multiplayer space, it all of a sudden gets more complicated to tailor the world to f- fulfill that one identity. Yeah, I I can speak to that experience playing Elder Scrolls Online because it's yeah. similar to any other Elder Scrolls game. You are like the world savior in mm-hmm. that game, and yet so is everyone else. Yes. So it's like, you know, spoiler alert, mm-hmm. at the end of the main storyline, you get to join the Companions, which is like this, right. the Warriors type guild, mm-hmm. and there's supposed to be six Companions. Right. But realistically, there are millions there's of Companions. There's a million. yep. <laughs> there are so many Companions. Yeah, MMOs have, have had... This struggle. They struggle with that exact thing. Yeah. Yeah. I remember... That's why you end up with City of Heroes, right? Yes. (laughs) World of Warcraft had the very entertaining... uh, Early on, there was a a quest that some some night elf, big fancy guy, sends you to... What was it? Ungoro Crater. Mm. And you have to, like, collect dirt samples to figure out what's going on there. And it's super important, Mm -hmm. right? And you have to do it to save the land. Uh, But then when you come back... 
He's like, okay, awesome. Just put it on the pile. And you look to the right of him. This is huge pile of soil uh, because, you know, you're just one of the one of the many, unlimited many. adventures he's done this. Yeah. So it's, you know, it's Blizzard's own little nod to the ridiculousness of right. the urgency of the single player identity against the multiplayer backdrop. Mm-hmm. And it, yeah, it undercuts, right? And uh, you know, definitely in games like that, people struggle about what it really does mean to be good. Right. Right. When I play Skyrim, there's no question that I'm the dragonborn. <laughs> right. I can just, I'm just lopping dragon's heads off whenever I want. Right. In World of Warcraft, what's my gear score? Yeah. What's my achievement mm-hmm. rank? Have I done Archimon on Heroic or not? There's a whole nother tier expectation of what it means to be good that is a pressure that for a learning environment can really undermine you, right? I mean, we, I, if you play an MMO, like you've definitely met people who struggle with whether or not they're even deserved to play, mm-hmm. right? They're like, That's true. I suck at this. Yeah. I suck at being a healer. Mm-hmm. And, and everyone is happy to inform me of that. <laughs> right, yeah. Yeah, well, actually, that's that's really why we put this podcast together. Today, this is an intervention. You suck as a healer. <laughs> I, I haven't rolled Resto in so long. Yeah, <laughs> uh. yeah no, so so that's, that's true, right? So there's multiplayer can get in the way of narrative on identity tools to enforce your learning objectives. I think a third component is often multiplayer... Multiplayer offers an opportunity for competition, mm-hmm. right? You can make things like leaderboards and things better than leaderboards. Like you can make models where people can get that spur of competition. Mm-hmm. And that competition is a really great activator for a lot of people to hit ridiculous levels of greatness, right? Yep. But there's also other people who despise competitive models yeah. and really need a private space to think about mastery and define for themselves what they are going to do to be good. Yep. And the last thing they want is some list that points out that they're not on top. Not to not to just drub World of Warcraft, right? But right. for healers, for example, mm-hmm. what's most important? Hitting number one on the healing meter or having no one die? Right. Right? Yeah. And that, you know, it is a, a commonly discussed component. Right. Of like, what is really important? Did you put in the big heal that saved the tank when that crit happened out of nowhere? Mm-hmm. That's important. Or were you just papering the entire, like just making a safety net right. of security? <laughs> exactly, right? So so some uh, uh, so when you put up competitions, you can get some really unhealthy min-maxing in the name of competition and it can undermine people's sense of agency and being good at a thing and that obviously applies to a learning game so thinking about 21st century skills i guess in terms of measurement that's something that is obviously an incredibly complex topic that we may not have an answer to, honestly. Mm-hmm. This idea that traditional learning can be measured by things like a multiple choice test. Mm-hmm. And it is a challenge to figure out how one might measure a 21st century skill. Like, how do you know a player is good at collaboration? You know, right. like you can't tell that at a glance. Right. That's something that you have to observe over a period of time mm-hmm. and see that take place. I think that's fair. You know, I, 
I think the good news is that 22nd century skills will just use some type of telepathic headset yeah. to determine. So have chips implanted in our yeah. necks. Yeah, that'll be amazing. Whatever. 21st century is just awkward. It's right in the middle. <laughs> just so awkward. It's true. Yeah, I mean, that sort of speaks to the heart of, you know, the learning game movement and challenge, right? It's like we're trying to make these digital experiences that are more complicated expressions of what it means to know and do something. Mm-hmm. And I would say internal to our community, we'd say that also represents the future of assessing those things. Yeah. Just, just in the same way we say, hey, look, these things represent better ways of modeling these things to be learned. They are also better ways of modeling these things to be assessed. That's a hard sell, right? It is. And, you know, I would say that often when we're discussing the challenges of moving game-based learning forward, those are our, our dual fronts our content and assessment and games as a can be a tool for both but right. often when we find that we're arguing with someone who's really opposed to us it's like oh i just realized we're on the wrong front right. your front is that the game can't match contemporary assessment so the game can't be doing anything good mm-hmm. or we're trying to talk about improving assessment but they actually want to talk about why does the content need to be so complicated or so custom right, right? so sometimes Sometimes you have to negotiate what is actually the real challenge in front of you. And it sort of ties back to what we were talking about, previous discussion about games that make you dumber, is that this idea that you are learning something, like you may be learning something that a traditional assessment actually is not equipped to analyze, Mm -hmm. and therefore, even though you've become smarter, you are not aligned with whatever assessment tool is implemented, and so you could end up looking like you've gone backwards right again it's that same concept yeah it's tough it's yeah. super tough you know like once you once you sort of step outside of the such the the very knowable assessment tools mm-hmm. where you can count the amount of things that were remembered correctly or not that's this very reassuring world right right and once you step out of that sometimes you're like have i wandered into like is it just like wine tasting now? Like where you're like, I don't know, notes of granite and uh, oak. I don't know. And then you get the next expert and they're like, oh, I'm seeing a hint of cardamom. You know, like you're not sure if you've just stepped into the void of like, is there any way to assess at all? Right. Spinning away from the yeah. comfort of convention into, yeah. into the black. Yeah, and I just I just alienated our huge wine t- uh, sommelier uh, audience. I'm just sitting here thinking I could listen to you do fake wine tasting reviews yeah. for longer than just now. That, that was pretty amusing <laughs> to me. It was cardamom and yeah. maybe yarn. Yeah, yarn. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. <laughs> There's an echo of asphalt in this. <laughs> yeah. But like Northern Hemisphere asphalt. Yeah, yeah, I would say, yeah, probably Detroit. <laughs> Southern Detroit, mid-70s. Yeah. Uh, all right, yeah. so bottom line on can we measure 21st century skills? Kind of. <laughs> <laughs> sort of. I'd say yes. Yeah, but, it's it's a work in progress. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a nascent field mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. So that I think assessing those skills is going to evolve at the same rate that we have this new kind of mandate to teach those things and, and relay those things.
I got a feeling. It's contronyms. It's the contronym of the week. <laughs> it's contronym corner. Contronym corner. All right. I know last uh, last contronym corner, I think we promised literal would be today's contronym. All right. Uh, so, okay. All right. Uh, today's contronym is literal. And it can mean actually or not actually. Not actually. Yes. So... Um, <laughs> I have a good story about literal. All right. Um, Play which it on is going to have a bleep in it. Oh, well, all right. Maybe two. We'll see. It might be a beep in the beep. Josh's got his yeah. finger on the trigger. Maybe I'll just say beep in the beep. That's how I'll get to it. That way we don't have to like, you know, that's better. Yeah, because if the master track of this leaks out. Yeah, right. Yeah, scandal erupts. Disastrous. Scandal can erupt. TMZ uh. outside. <laughs> And no okay. said a swear. Yeah. So my brother, who uh, who I'm very fond of, uh, a long time ago worked at the University of Wisconsin Student Union. He was like a student employee there, and they ran programs and bought supplies for events and things like of that nature. And he was at a very early morning meeting, and one of his coworkers had, had just bought a bunch of inventory, I think, for the 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 bar in the union because it's Wisconsin. Our student union has a really robust bar system. Yeah, that's right, America. We sure uh, do. And it's, it's kind of kind of crazy. Uh, but anyway, so he, he had bought paper cups. Like, I think it's paper cups. Way too many cups and they cost way too much. Like, they, they got the wrong discount or anything. So, so the guy, he's holding his inventory papers. He's like, guys, we literally got beeped in the beep with these cups. No one registered it. No one no one no one cared that they were just literally <laughs> you know hit in the area with with these <laughs> with these cups. Right? Because oh. you know, and that that to me is like the best example of the misuse of the word literal. But if you look in the Webster dictionary, one of the definitions is an extreme form of a figurative. Mm-hmm. Like an emphasis on the figurative. Right. You know, you're going to literally hit the roof when you hear this. Right. You're literally raking it in. <laughs> and you're like, no, no, you're figuratively raking it in. There is no rake. Uh, so so that's what makes it a contronym. <laughs> it's It's been abused so long to uh, and used so sloppily that... Uh, that people aren't even that, phased by the prospect of... Yeah, that's several... of, an inf- of an infusion of paper cups. Yes, so yeah. that even the <laughs> I know that word. It tends to make it sound more gentle, but it just makes it more insidious. The, the descriptive dictionaries, the ones that try and tell tell language how it is rather than mm-hmm. how it should be, have mm-hmm. have yielded to the masses, and now literal can mean either literal uh, or figurative. It's true. Thanks for listening to the Film and Games Podcast. If you'd like to hear more about games, game-based learning, and well-informed, accurate observations about sports and such, subscribe today on Stitcher or iTunes.